everyone! <laughs> welcome back to Shadow Live! Welcome, welcome! Welcome, welcome! Ah. Thank you for joining us as we navigate the big issues on your feed. Moving from apathy and overwhelm to collective action and hopeful pathways forward. Hi, I'm Zoe. And I'm Larissa. And on this episode, we're talking all about different forms uh, of home, of connection to home, and specifically from the perspective of uh, GRT communities, but also folks who are challenging the trespassing laws that we see in the UK today. Shout out to the Right to Rome campaign. Shout out. And we're here in real life for the first time. <laughs> we're recording in real life we for the are. first time. I'm using this water bottle as my, what is it? This is an emotional support animal that it's just here. I'm just resting with it. <laughs> we really leveled up. This was like the most DIY and now we're like here in the studio. I feel I almost feel like I'm about to start saying something misogynistic, like a podcast man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's something about no, it's, it. It is a little bit strange to be here. I can't lie. I'm loving it though. It's very fancy in here. It is very fancy in here. I'm, I'm worried the lighting is too good. Honestly, nobody needs to see me in HD. Nobody needs to see me in HD. Even in Zoom cams, I'm like disgusting. But honestly, nobody zoom in. Nobody zoom in. Nobody zoom in. Rules and regulations. How are you doing, babes? What's been going on with you? Yeah, good. I've literally just been running around this London. Mm. Trying to sort out my life and what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Um, so, yeah, it's been fun. Like, I was connecting with a, one of the aunties in the feminist movement who basically raised me as a campaigner. Oh so I was just God. spending time with her this morning getting her wisdom. So, yeah, I'm in a, like, relaxed space because of that. She got me on a good energy. Yeah. What about you? How are you doing? I'm good. I was, like, saying before, I'm, like, really having an ACDC week. ACDC is what my friend's dad used to describe basically having a bad ADHD week where you just have taken on way too many things and then keep forgetting where you are in the middle of what you're doing and being like, what am I doing here? Someone's like, you need to be doing this. And I'm like, I forgot. But we move. Do you want to kind of start us today on like what the right yeah, to Yeah, let's get is? into it because I feel like if folks have noticed like in the season, we've been trying to start from a pretty specific point and I think right to Rome give us a really good example of that. So just to keep things clear and like really really to the point like I want to start us out back in 1932 oh. uh, I don't know where that <laughs> take us back so basically when I was at the World Transform Festival there was a speaker who brought me on to uh, knowing about this it was called the Kinder Scout Mass Trespass Walk and so in 1932 it was about like 500 walkers mainly from Manchester but Pretty much people came from all over the country in protest. Uh, and it was the form of protest was a trespass. And so they trespassed en masse, walking all the way from Hayfield through to Kinder Scout. And they did this because they wanted to secure access rights to open country for all to enjoy. And their whole concept was, we're doing this walk so that in the future people can continue to do this walk. Um, and I thought it was interesting because like now today on the National Trust website that is really celebrated as something that, oh, like, people, you know, secure this. Of course, at the time, it was criminalised, it was demonised, people were seen as, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you on this land? Because you're not supposed to be on this land. But it was essentially exposing the fact that in this country, because of ancient laws to do with trespassing and to do with land ownership, we have very little access to most of the land. I believe even now, even with some of the laws that have come into place that have opened things up, it's only 8% of land in the country, in the UK, that we have access to, um, which is wild. That like, is crazy. How much land can be, like, why, why got to buy And it's almost up? like, okay, National, National Trust, if you're celebrating it now, 
maybe we'll all come squat those big houses that you're obsessed with. As if, you're, if you love trespassing so much. Yeah, especially them colonial ones. Yeah. I'll be there. We're taking them back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, That's I just so think the Kinder Scout mass trespass is a very interesting one because it's also a case of in hindsight and in reflection, often those things that were seen as really disruptive and radical at the time are then in retrospect lauded as, oh, this is such a great thing that people did, da, 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 da. And so actually right to Rome still to this day is fighting for those rights for people to be able to access freely, to be able to roam freely. And they're campaigning to bring a right to roam act to England so that millions more people can have easy access to open space and the physical, mental and spiritual health benefits that that brings. So I just think that's so incredible that they are drawing on those histories of trespassing and mass trespassing, um, holding mass trespasses today. So if you're interested in, you know, doing the rebellious thing, Go on the Right to Rome website, find where the next mass trespass is um, and get walking, get walking to protest. And it's one of those things where it's like, just like with when we were talking about the Free the Beach movement, Scotland has this. Scotland has the right mm. to roam. This isn't like, wait, no, what the hell? Like, we'll never be able to access the land. Like, that's just crazy talk. No, they do it in Scotland. They do it like literally just over there. So it is, once again, Scotland kind of ahead of us in terms of some of this stuff and what the right to roam talk about is like how in a time of crisis we really need to be able to have access to our land and, and connect back with our land which goes back to what Samara was saying last week about there are all these forces at play that don't want us to connect with the land that we're on and actually I think it's really beautiful if you look at what the right to roam like have on their website they're really celebratory of like the ecosystems that make up the British Isles mm. and like I do forget like because I'm like it's rainy and shit here like because I live in London, I'm like, it's a great... You're like, actually, we live somewhere, like, so beautiful. Yeah. We just don't have access to so much of that land. But I think it's also interesting that the right to roam is trying to get all of us to have this easy access to roam, right? But, like, the vast majority of us, yes, even if we trespass, it's going to be... It's going to be, okay, maybe we're on private property by accident if we're going on a hike or a walk or blah, blah, blah. But the criminalization of roaming, of mobility, the criminalization of those things, the people that have experienced the brunt of that are, of course, like GRT communities. So I don't know if you want to tell us a bit more about like what you've been looking into around GRT folks and what they've been experiencing. I mean, yeah. And like this is a huge topic and I don't think any amount of reading would be able to kind of encompass the like diversity that makes up Gypsy, Traveller and Roma communities. Like in my reading, I knew it was like a diversity of ethnic groups that are kind of put under this one banner. So excuse me for sometimes using those terms, but it's to kind of encompass those people who have come from like nomadic cultures, whose cultures are being criminalized by the British state and have done for years. So Romney gypsies and Irish travelers kind of make up part of this group, but also Scottish travelers. The term gypsies actually comes from when the travelers came here around 1500, so here is the UK and the British public thought they were Egyptians, so it got shortened to gypsies, but that's not actually true. Um, you can trace back gypsies' origin to kind of northern India. But within kind of these groups, it's like extremely diverse, and I don't want to paint everyone with a broad brush, basically. But state structures have, have for a really long time played a role in oppressing and minoritizing gypsy and traveller communities, basically since their arrival or recorded arrival in the kind of mid 1500s to the police crime sentencing courts bill of 2022. There's a really, really clear and consistent attempt by the British state to oppress and kind of erase uh, these nomadic cultures. 
these cultures that are on the move, basically. It started back in 1530 with the Egyptians Act, which banned kind of immigration of gypsies into the UK. And when they were found, they were asked to leave within 16 days. And if not, all their goods and property would be taken. They'd be imprisoned or they'd be deported. Um, and this kind of carries on basically up until now. In 1554, we start to see through the state's legislation how actually the elements of the kind of gypsy lifestyle, which is, you know, that roaming, moving around um, is a threat to the British state because in 1554 they had a, a law which said if gypsies abandon, and I'm quoting, their naughty, idle and ungodly life and company and adopt a sedentary life, aka a stationary one, a settled life, they would not be punished or deported, basically. So we're already starting to see how the state are associating ungodly with a mobile and transitory life. Mm. It's really interesting that it's that clear. And we start to see some of the real roots of the discrimination in this country coming from the state and the attempts to legislate them into assimilating or leaving the country, basically. And I think what's really interesting is to ask, why is that style of living, that culture, that mobile culture such a threat to the state and why is roaming why are they so scared of people who who move around and roam mm. and i think that's what's really interesting when we start looking to gypsy roma traveler organizers who are basically I, there's a quote actually that i've got from chelsea mcdonough who's a contributor for shadow check out their pieces on shadow they're really amazing who said when we think of a resistance our minds are too often drawn to significant displays in the form of mass protests and activism, but our existence as gypsies and travellers is already resistance. The refusal to assimilate into societal norms despite great pressure and state oppression whilst maintaining our own distinct cultural identities is an example of resistance in and of itself. And I think that's so real because reading all about these histories, I'm like, the state has been trying to erase them for 500 years and they are here. And it's like, it's pretty amazing living forms of resistance that the Gypsy Roma Traveller communities have always been kind of doing. Even from the top of what you said, I was shocked, first of all, because I didn't even know where Gypsies kept, like, obviously I know that it's a slur, I know that it's been used in a in particular ways, but I did not know that it came because they thought they were Egyptian. And it just made me think of what we were saying last time about West Indians and the name being West Indies mm. because they didn't even know where they were when they got there. <laughs> like, it's so funny to me how, I don't know, the state, the state, whether through kind of imperialism, whether through oppression here domestically, they just attach names to demonize or to, I don't know, just out of nowhere, mm. like out of your own ignorance. No, it's so true. And it's like people looking to say like, oh no, you know, they're legitimate and like they're not even doing their own research if one person was like researching that or they're like they just hear a term and they're like they're yeah, egyptians but, you're like wow okay yeah, yeah. I don't but know. then yeah i mean everything you were saying as well about like the the criminalization through the weaponization of religion that was really really interesting to me because it's kind of connected to some of the stuff that i was reading at the more kind of I think you've got some more practical stuff. I was looking at some of the more theoretical stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's this academic called Sylvia Cittadini who does a lot of work around the GRT community, concepts of home, and so obviously really connected to the whole series. Mm -hmm. And so she was talking about how the whole concept of home as something that is fixed is kind of classical liberal conceptualization. And that that's always been kind of critiqued by like feminist post-colonial scholars because ultimately... The home was called a domestic haven, first of all, right? Like, then ex you've got exploitation of women. The home was called this, like, civilised place as opposed to, like, the civilised other through the external, like, 
colonial exploits. Is that the word I'm looking for? But yeah, the home was seen as this civilized world, whereas the uncivilized other was external to Europe. And that was also using like religion as the basis for that divide between the in-group and the out-group. So like you can see the thread through between the like basis of this mm. in its like ideological grounding and then what it actually looks like in practice because mm. why? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to to look at how like mobile but particularly gypsy Roma and traveller communities in the UK are portrayed by settled cultures and I was doing some reading and it was like how government goals are often underpinned by neoliberal philosophies that present private property as the optimal institution for economic development and progress. And therefore, those who don't adhere to the rules of private property are innately resisting mm. and a challenge to that. And I think you can see this in how, in how legislation has morphed in terms of how contemporary society, kind of, as you say, accepts sedentary living as the norm. And there's been a historical unease with nomadic living, especially. Um, and this is really interesting. This, this, this reading that I was doing relates it back to empire and nation building and says that this unease manifesting itself, trying to integrate and assimilate nomadic groups. And they talk about from slavery to ethnic cleansing, but you can also see how like so many kind of in recent history, there's been attempts to include Gypsy Roma traveller communities, but they've really often resisted that because to them it feels like assimilation. Mm. It's like, oh, well, you assimilate and then you have to reject your entire culture. And so there's a real difficulty of things that seem like they're inclusive policies, like trying to get, you know, because Gypsy Roma traveller communities have some of the lowest forms of kids attending school, mm. but like a lot of them resist sending their kids to settled schools because they've had no kind of input into the education and the syllabus. And they know that like, they're completely underrepresented in like educational decision-making. Mm. So it's a really difficult decision, I think, to send your kid to somewhere where we, we know how, you know, schools can be weaponized to kind of take kids away from their culture. And so like, there is a very real tension here, which like, of course you want your kids to like go to school, but you also don't want that to come at, the cost of them not knowing their culture or not feeling like they can be themselves. Exactly. And I think it's so, like what you said before about their existence being resistance and that quote from our fellow shadow, shadow, our fellow shadow editor. <laughs> We're on ropes today. We're on ropes today. Um, but I think like, it's not just about your existence, but like, what is your existence? Not only physically, but spiritually. Mm academically like what are you thinking feeling how are you moving through the world mm. it's so true schools have such a huge impact on how we see ourselves mm. and like this academic was talking about the concept of home as something that actually connects to identity and your relationship with identity and seeing both home and relationship with identity as fluid mm. and saying that recognizing the inherent fluidity of the home also means acknowledging the different forms and shapes that it can assume. And so I feel like there's a huge connection there with the education system. Like, mm. what is it teaching us about ourselves, about our communities? How does that shift our understanding of home as like a geographical space mm. or as something that can be mobile as, you know, home as a plurality of places? Like, mm. the list is endless, but like, you do get things affirmed or kind of devalued within the education system. Mm. It's like the delegitimization of the idea that home can be mobile 
And so I, I completely respect people for having their kind of reservations about having their children institutionalized within that education system, of course. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think, you know, because, you know, these are these are communities and cultures that have been roaming and traveling for, you know, generations and a refusal to assimilate as well, which is very powerful. And because, you know, there's a couple of things that I was looking at in the in the reading. And one of them is a book by Anthony Satin, um, who wrote a book called Nomads, The Wanderers Who Shaped Our World, who kind of speaks to how mobile communities are kind of borderless communities, are proof that borders don't exist. Mm. And like, you can look at like the history of the Gypsy Roma Traveller communities. There's communities all over Europe. It's kind of like a population that exists and is united beyond borders. But also like you can look to, you know, the indigenous Sami in Northern Europe who, who move across borders for traditional Sami reindeer husbandry. They move across Finland, Russia, Sweden, Norway all the time. They're a borderless people and they kind of prove the border isn't real. And so that being part of your culture, your history, the way that you move, you are resisting the state and the border as you go. And I just think that's like, again, it's another like in the way that those communities are living is just a threat to the state and like a threat to the school yeah. system and all of these things. Cause like, you know more than anyone how all these things are like linked. And it's just like, yeah, it's very interesting. I think. That is so interesting because I'm also thinking about this from like a abolitionist perspective now yeah. that you're saying that because if the state doesn't have jurisdiction over you, they don't have the right to hold you accountable because you're not giving your consent to be policed in that way. That's so interesting because I can imagine why that is seen as such a threat because then how can they even police those communities even though of course they have been heavily criminalized but how do you even coordinate that across borders? How do you, the ways that they can target settled and physically rooted communities is completely different from how they would have to approach that because mm. who are you to say I can't do what I'm doing because I don't even recognize you mm as having any power or jurisdiction over me. No, true. And it's, Chelsea talks about this a lot. So when it came to the police crime sentencing and courts bill, which was passed in 2022, which we, we did see, you know, a lot of movement coalition building between kind of like feminist movement, like Black Lives Matter, like Extinction Rebellion, but also the GRT organizers. Because first of all, that bill basically criminalized roadside camps, um, which is, you know, those communities only on roadside camps because they've been pushed out of every other form of places where they can settle, of caravans, that like the places where um, van dwellers in general, not even if you're like GRT, is getting smaller and smaller because, again, it's like harder to legislate and you kind of exist a little bit outside of what the state can, can manage. So people who are living on the roadside camps are only doing this because it's like there's so few places where they can stay. And now they're, because of that bill, they, if they can face time in prison for that or £2,500 fine, which, you know, is just like... It's like you, you're you pushing people to the roadside and then you're finding them for being there. Yeah. Chelsea speaks a lot about how in that kind of the wake of the PCSC bill, they really started to understand what they do as kind of abolitionist. Um, so a quote is, when as a people you've been criminalized for hundreds of years, it makes it is much easier to see not only the role of police in oppression, but also seeing that there are ways of organizing community and living that don't rely on carceral institutions or thinking. And they say that there's so much about the ways that gypsy and travelers live and exist that can provide support to abolitionist imagining, often living in extended family units and providing familial support that reduces the reliance on state institutions, such as care homes, additional childcare, and provides a model for different ways of living, which is so true. Like yeah. it's so true. That is really cool. Mm. 
And like, it really connects back to what you were saying before about the kind of issue being with private property, because it's making me think back to the episode last series with Avia mm. and how we were talking about, you know, the, the police is, the police is an institution existing to protect private property because of capitalism's overwhelming preoccupation with the protection of private property above all else. And so, of course, people in some of the best place people to show us where we need to resist that are the people existing outside of that. That's mm. so, that's something is clicking in my head right now from what mm. you just said. That's that's really really cool. And it's really interesting, I think, as well, because you look at like a lot of places that are now, or countries or whatever, that are bringing in kind of private property. I'm actually talking about something that happened in 2003 in Mongolia, but like it's a bit more recent than that happened here in the UK, and how like they basically said in in Mongolia in 2003 they were like everyone gets a patch of land um because we're trying to like divide up the land and basically all the nomadic herders were like what the hell that doesn't work like it doesn't work because our lives are dependent on moving around so that our cattle can graze and so that to make sure that we're not like over exploiting the landscape and we're not and then we can't continue our way of life and continue kind of our livelihoods and like when the landlord doesn't permit that you're basically killing off a way of life and it didn't make sense and also they were saying that loads of the Mongolian nomadic farmers just weren't abiding by it they all just were like whatever we all just graze on each other's land like it's it's whatever whatever but it's like <laughs> but you know it is like you look to lots of ways of living like if you look back to the root of nomadic living often it's because you had to move around in order to survive so that the landscape that you were living off had time to regrow and you weren't over exploiting it yeah. so it comes from a place of actually like really sustainable resource management mm. that we have lost somewhere yeah and like yeah i don't know there's a lot of wisdom to it basically and like if you present it to people now who like live off the land and like know about their landscape and their environment they'd just be like yeah that doesn't work <laughs> that doesn't make sense <laughs> that's oh again that's so interesting because it's making me think about i'm connecting what you're saying about that policy to what you said before about the imposition of like housing policies mm. on Romani people. And then I was also reading this piece from Albanese Urlek, I believe is the pronunciation, who was talking about does imposing a housing policy on a group represent a form of violence? Mm. And like does imposing that kind of agricultural policy on those farmers represent a form of violence? Because you're essentially killing off a practice that's been going on for God knows how many, like, probably centuries. I mean, I don't know. I didn't read that piece. So I'm just, <laughs> this is pure speculation. <laughs> but like, probably centuries. For what? Mm. To do something that doesn't make sense. Mm. That is a form of violence. Mm. Yeah. And I, I guess what I, like, because I, I read a little bit of that piece about, like, how housing policy could be seen as violence when it's like, that's only one conception of what a home is and what having kind of safe and adequate shelter is. Is it just like a mix of like nimbyism, racism and fear of the state that stop there just being more caravan grounds for Gypsy Romana? And also just more like there's lots of people who are van dwellers and like that's their way of living. So it's way more affordable than like renting here in the UK for sure. Like is that is the problem like what's the problem? <laughs> is it just racism? So I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is not an answer to your question. But like as you were just talking about van dwellers, that's really got me thinking about, you know, on TikTok. Oh, what, There's this, that trend of van life. Yeah. Isn't this not like, wait, so you, wait. you white middle class who have chosen to do this yes. can do it. But people Why who... is that so true? Why are the van life girly pops uh, able to go around doing their stuff? Like how... Mm -mm. Now, Sorry, is that's that because they can afford to be on like private campsites uh, all the time? That's true. Is that what it is? But then even when 
forgive me if I'm incorrect, but from what I've been reading, I believe that even when GLT communities are on yeah. those or are legitimately quote unquote on certain properties or in spaces where they're quote unquote allowed to be, mm. they're still getting criminalized and chased out of those ends. Mm. So what what now? Why is it that certain people are seen as disposable mm. and movable and you're not allowed to be here and you're not allowed to take up this space and we're going to push you here and push you there until we can criminalise you. And other people, it's okay for them to do that. And this, I think, goes back to why it's the, like, it's the ingrained racism going all the way back to those laws in the, yeah. in the 15, mid-1500s yeah. where they were like, that way of life is ungodly. Like, because you, I watched a few documentaries where it was, like, basically GRT people being like, whenever we go somewhere, people see us as thieves. and th as thieves. People see us as, like, dirty and as thieves. And that is just, like a racism that's inherited from the state and I guess like stirred up fear because people are other, other people. I don't know, but like that, when it comes to GRT communities just trying to pitch up somewhere and like ever like local councils and local people getting mad, that just comes down to like an old, old discrimination, old racism, I think, which is, yeah. cause you're right. The va like van girly pops and her like boyfriend and their little cat are going to be like, it? Come like, and make content, like, like you know what I mean. Literally, nobody is chasing them out. No, and it's interesting because, like, I've no, I know there are all these like abandoned brown sites in cities, which, like, you know, it's the same thing as squatting. Actually, is where there's all these abandoned buildings in cities. There's all these abandoned like brown sites, so like things that maybe used to be like industrial sites or whatever, where there's like big, huge car parks where people could come and live. And in COVID, they were all opened up. And like my friend who. Uh, lives in a van was moved onto those sites in COVID because they need to have people off the streets and yada yada. And then as soon as COVID stopped, they're like taking back those sites and kicking people off them again. So it's again that thing of like the the land is there. What's the problem? What's the problem? And it's it's the irony. I don't even know if that's the right word, but it's the irony that in the middle of a housing crisis mm. where an economic crisis where people could be looking towards those different modes of living and where we could actually be saying maybe this is a more sustainable way to create homes for all instead it's literally the opposite where we could be creating alternatives or recognizing alternatives that already have existed we're just choosing to denigrate things and like I don't know I was reading about like why certain homes are legitimized and other homes are delegitimized and again, it's just this in-group, out-group. Mm. What is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. Whose sense of home gets seen as like, what is correct? And again, it just goes back to all of this racialization, the weaponization of religion. All of, like, it's so, it's all interconnected. And it's, it's actually really disappointing that like, that showed that it is physically, operationally possible. And then rather than seeing that as an opportunity, it was just like, oh, okay, we'll just revert back to this. Yeah, and it's like people become stewards of these like neglected and abandoned sites in cities. It's like, that's a good thing. And even as you're yeah. saying that, I'm thinking like, it's that thing, isn't it? It's where it's like, actually, like if we just blew this wide open, there's so many different ways of living that would suit people. Like, obviously people are attracted to van life because you've got these, the van life TikTok, like people want to live in the van and go around. Like it's actually a way of life that would suit a lot of people, but it's so criminalized. Yeah. It's so criminalized. And like, it makes me think, you know, it's that whole thing of like the Tories in the UK, they're like, home ownership is the goal. And it's like, well, okay, under this system where 
housing so precarious. I guess home ownership's the goal because it's the only thing that can provide me some form of security. But in a yeah. different system, and I see I saw Moya Lothian McLean write about this, and I never agreed with something more, which is like, I don't really want to own a home. I would just like my rent not to be half over half of my paycheck. I, I'm someone who'd like to be able to move around, who doesn't necessarily want to have roots, but I it's not sustainable for the rest of my life to be paying over half my paycheck to pay off someone else's mortgage. But in a different system, like something maybe a bit more like the German system, where renting's less, or like van life is way more accessible, like all of these different options, but instead it's like, well, you either, as the Tories say, you just got to get on the property ladder. That's the only way out. And that's not even a way out, you know? And it's actually further trapping us into yes. being personally bought into mm. capitalism because it's literally saying, this is your mechanism for, you know, having a more affordable, more sustainable way of life, right? Because you can't rent forever because it's too expensive and it doesn't make logistical sense. So your purpose in life at this point should be own a home. Then once you've got that home, because you're tied to that space, because you're then literally infiltrated in that economic system, it's like, oh, wait, but now you need to vote in your interest because you're a homeowner, you're a landowner. Like... It's I tried, I tried. No, you're so right. It's like the goal is you have to become, you have to own private property. So then you're you have become part of the system. It's, yeah. But it's like then it's the only way out for people to feel well. Yeah, to people to feel safe. The other thing is, get in your van and drive around. But then they'll like you know like it's yeah. Is that the action? Get in your van. <laughs> get in your van. Everyone get a van. No, but it's so true. And I think I, there was there was a quote that I had. Yeah, for this is from friends, families and travellers. He said, although nomadism and unauthorised camping are not in themselves illegal, the effect of legislation has been to criminalise that way of life. In addition to this, the systematic closure of traditional stopping places through ditching, gating and boulders has resulted in gypsy and travellers having nowhere legal to stop. So it's like, they're being like, it's not illegal, but it is. Like everything, everything that you want to do is. The, yeah. way, the, the way that you would enact that way of life is. And so what are we all losing from this? Actually, what are we all losing from this? It's so sad. And this is the thing, like, the through upholding systems as they are, it's not even just that, yeah, like, people are obviously suffering under existing systems, but it's also that we have no space to imagine mm. or to, like, model alternatives or to whatever, because you just get trapped in trying to evade these, like, ridiculous laws mm. and trying to, like, yeah, it's just, sorry, I'm not even, I'm not even yeah, sure what my no. point is. I'm just like... It's just so sad. It is really sad. It, it really makes you feel how like limited all of our, the popular imagination is and what popular aspirations are. Like it's so, I mean, the white picket fence of it all, do you know what I mean? It's like, that is success and that is stability. And it's like, God, we've been conditioned to think that by a state that profits from us thinking that. Yeah. Like what if we just didn't criminalize having a nomadic lifestyle and how much more, one of these these writers was talking about like how, like the unsung heroes of like global nomads, like in our history and like how much, you know, that cross, contamination is the wrong word, but like the, the, you know, moving between cultures, how much like those nomadic communities and, and, and migratory communities have like shared culture and like how we've, we're all better for it. And now we're kind of in a society which is like borders, house, stay stationary, stay where you are, <laughs> like never meet anyone, never like, and it's just like, oh my God. Yeah, we're su we're suffocated by our own short-sightedness and or something and it also makes it so much easier to 
place blame on GRT communities or yeah. anyone that's racialized as other because it's like, okay, these are your, this is like the four walls of your community. It's those people that are the problem rather than being able to criticize, you know, maybe the, I don't know, the government mm. or whatever. It's like, oh, okay, if we keep people boxed in to this like very limited sense of this is my home, this is my community, this is like my four walled existence, then. I think it makes it so much easier to demonize people outside of that or who mm. live differently to that. Mm. I think it's also why like the it's really important to engage with like the storytelling of Romani communities and GRC communities. And like because I was looking at this podcast called Dwelling and mm. it was all around like the history of nomadism and like speaking to folks from different forms of both actually nomadic and static GRT communities or like descendants of GRT communities. Um, and so I definitely recommend that to folks who want to think about this more because like, I used to be, this is such a random like part of my former life, but I used to be the UK delegate to the Council of Europe Congress of like local and regional authorities. And like in that space, they're actually quite good at talking about GRT communities and it was actually the UK delegation that kept like raising these issues in that space but then I and, and at that point when I was like must have been like 18 I was like yeah this is really positive but then reading this stuff I was like reflecting on like was that good yeah because like are you actually listening to the stories and lived experiences of GRT people mm. or are you just play like projecting a yeah 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 so yeah I think storytelling and honoring and listening to and actually just being responsive to that storytelling is really really important rather than just like oh we need to see the right to home and the right to housing as something that is inherently intertwined Mm. like those are actually two different things that is so true and I think you know we came off of last series really talking about the home in the sense we were talking so much about housing justice, but actually home justice, I don't know what the word, like that it needs to be a bit more expansive, doesn't yeah. it? It needs to be more all encompassing because it's really, really not just about buildings. It really is not just about building. It, it's it's about a, r- a right to your way of life. I don't know. It's, yeah. so, it's so much more expansive than that. The right to your culture, the yeah. right to be who it is you actually want to be and that cuts across so many issues like that could we could be here all day (laughs) yeah there's also something here which because i was looking at that thing i was mentioning earlier which is about you know a lot of these nomadic and and migratory communities or it's about responding to the land and responding to you know which resources are you know a bit overexploited and moving on but like as climate change gets worse on a global scale on a local scale moving around is going to be a form of survival yeah and like we have to there's a lot we can learn basically there's a lot we can learn and we're not really in a place to learn it right now but like yeah there's a lot we can learn from nomadic and and migratory communities who are in tune (laughs) with these things and you know if we if we keep on the way we're keeping on we're making things only making things worse for ourselves i don't know scary yeah and also just connected to that like and the the futures that are ahead of us like we're already in like quite a dire position in that like I don't know I'm just thinking about there's I when I was reading I was finding these statistics around like homelessness and now I'm connecting what you're saying about 
what's to come ahead of us with like what Samara was saying last week about would there be homelessness if we lived in the ways that our ancestors lived and mm. lived in the ways that our communities know to take care of one another? And the I believe it was the annual review in 2022 that said around 4.2% of those recorded as sleeping rough by relevant services, and that's the phrase that they used, uh, by relevant services were Romani. And that that rate had remained quite constant over the years. And that's about like 400 to five people um, spending at least a night on the streets of London in the course of a year. Mm. And so how are the policies that are displacing people and criminalizing people who would otherwise have nomadic lifestyles that honor a space for home and that allow them to have a sustainable home? How is that actually producing homelessness and further disruption and how would that actually be compounded by the nature of climate refugees and mm. climate-based displacement it's scary stuff it really is and like you know I think you're right in the sense that coming back to what both Kato and Samara said about how homelessness wouldn't have existed as you say if we were if we were living in a different way and like it's interesting like looking at what some of the GRT writers have been writing about how being like old people's homes are just not a concept that exists for them. They would never do that. Like that's... As in... Yeah, like just being like, that's such a rejection of of the care that we're supposed to practice as part of a family. Like it's just yeah. against... And it's like, you know, a lot of Western countries, we are really spiritually like, we've lost something mm. and everybody else looks at us like... Yeah, it's kind of scary. I can't lie. Yeah. Like the way these countries treat old people is terrifying to me mm. because it's also, it goes back to that sense of who is seen as disposable. Mm. If you're not a property owner, if mm. you're not a worker, if you're not a seer. And it also goes back to like private property isolating us outside of our communities because it's much easier to have a, a functioning kind of community care system. Easier is the wrong word, but it's like, it works better if, you know, you have... It, you know, it takes a village, so to speak. Like, you can rely on your neighbours. You're working yeah. as a community. You're not, like, isolated in your nuclear home. Like, I'm so scared of that. Like, I'm so scared of being in the, like, the nuclear family, isolated in your home. You're trying to raise your kid, like, on your own. Like, you know, new um, new mothers are, like, the loneliest demographic in the UK, which is just... And it's all part of this, like, idealised version of what family and home should look like, which actually cuts us off from so much. And it leads yeah. you to... Yeah, you, you've got a work job and you look after your kids and, like, you don't have anyone to help you. So then, of course, like, suddenly, like, uh, an, an old folks' home becomes a, a much more attractive if you literally don't have the bandwidth to do all this care responsibility on your own. It's like, all of this stuff is compounded into making, disconnecting us from each other. That is scary. <laughs> I don't, the only reason I don't fear that is because I told my sister any child of mine is a child of hers. <laughs> it's by fours. And all my friends... I hope you're listening because I told you that too. So, like, I'm trying to start a commune, really. Yeah, okay, I'm trying no, no, to start no. a commune, like not like a commune, commune, but a, a, oh, a semi, okay. a semi-functional commune. I was ready for the. Actual... I really want it. I want like some kind of. I keep talking about the community meadow. I want me and all my friends to have houses where all our back gardens go onto each other. Then we knock it down. We make one back big back garden, and we like farm our food. I love this. You know, and then we don't need the old folks' home. It becomes Old Folks Village. That's actually such a cute idea. 
Yeah, we just all need the money to buy houses that all back onto each other. Right. So that's the, fir- that's the first issue to the community meadow. <laughs> but once we've done that, <laughs> it's over. Unstoppable. I'm so excited. Ah. But it is scary. I think it is scary. And I feel... But then also there's all this hope in the fact that like GRT communities are still here. They've been here. Yes. The way the state has come for them and criminalized almost all aspects of the kind of nomadic aspects of their lifestyle. And they're still here and they're still shouting and they're still protesting and like... Um, and also, like, just living normally and yeah. living joyfully and, like, that's... Yeah, I mean, I think that GRT communities are also just leading us in other areas because we did that uh, a zine on intersectionality way back, like, in... Is this a year? It's almost a year ago because I think it was in March last year. Yeah, it was. I've just got it. Yeah, yeah. March last year. And I got to interview Romani Fenn, who uh, were just doing the most incredible work leading, you know, Romani feminism. And... That for me is like, yes, there's hope in nomadic culture in and of itself, but there's also hope in the other things that GRT communities are doing that we mm. should be listening to um, because they were doing all of these like sessions. Actually, they, at the time that I spoke to, I spoke to someone called Isidora and they were like bringing in black feminists from the Combahi River Collective to do like a dialogue around the connection between black feminism and money feminism which was so sick whoa um, that sounds sick and yeah so they're just doing really cool work anyway mm. that we should be listening to and learning from yeah I think that's it isn't it it's about like what we can all learn from each other and and I don't know like maybe it's about trying to get all those van life girlies together and like <laughs> <laughs> politicize get them, them to politicize the van girlies radicalize yeah the tiny van people the tiny their collective Instagram followings must be a billion or something. All Why are they tiny? <laughs> you know, they're like redoing my little tiny van and like, I don't know. Well, I, meant the I do actually were tiny. No. <laughs> so I was confused. No. Yeah, maybe we need to get them on board, on side. Um, hope and action. Hope and action. I think we've done hope, but like action, maybe. Actually, I know mine. I think mine is actually, I really, from reading, was like, Mm, I don't know enough about this. I really do need to like go home. And there's a couple of books that I found that I, I d- dove into a little bit, but I didn't get to finish the full thing. So I think for me, I actually just need to go away and learn my history a bit better because my I, I'm bad with history. I'm not going to lie. I was a geography girly and my history is bad. But it was talking about how like, you know, there's so much othering that happens with GRT communities when actually they've been part of British history since the 1500s. Like that is like Mm. a huge part of British and European history, yet we don't treat it like that. And it's like, I think I need to like be thinking about my British history, be learning about GRT like communities in history as my own history, because Mm. we we are part of the same country. And like, that's something, yeah, I'm going to definitely do some more reading. That's cool. Yeah, I would like to do some more reading as well, actually. I think my action, though, is going to be to go on a mass trespass. Oh, my God. Actually, no. Yeah. I think I would really enjoy it. Like, yeah. Just the... Because like, I... You know, I'm a, I was a DOV girly. Bronze, silver and gold. <laughs> Shut up. You did bronze, silver and gold. It was the biggest scam of all time. When, no, but you know, the only reason I did it is because... Okay. For anyone, anyone li- listeners, <laughs> you can Edinburgh Award is something that the schools tell kids that you need to do to get into university. And then it turns out you didn't need to do it at all. I it didn't do the hike. I did the bronze. It was too tiring. Babes, my grades was great in school. So I was like, it wasn't that. It was not that. It was... Do you know what it was, yeah? Go on. My mum was a teacher. I had no choice. Do you know what it was, yeah? My nan found out from someone at church 
that if I did gold, she could go to a palace. Anyone with an old Caribbean grandparent probably knows that so many of them are obsessed with the royal family. Like <laughs> to the point where they have the collectibles, like the little spoons that have like oh, the like little the pictures on. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. love them things. Anyway, so my nan was one of those little collector item collector people who loved the monarchy off, like loved them down. And so as soon as she heard she could go to a palace if I did gold, I was doing gold. Like that was the, it was. Did you go? Did you take her? Yeah. What do you mean? That was one of her favorite days ever. <laughs> and like, even though I am not a fan of the monarchy, like the fact that my nan had such a good day made it worth it. And I actually really enjoyed it. I can't lie because I used to growing up, I always thought like hiking was for like white people. I don't know. Um, and yeah, like it kind of got me into it. And then when I was out in Latin America, I was doing bear hikes and stuff. So I feel like maybe if I hadn't done that and seen that, oh, I actually can physically do that shout then. out to the duke of edinburgh yeah <laughs> made you realize you're a hiking girl the duke himself the duke himself <laughs> i didn't think that's where this episode was going we just want to thank the royal family oh, no, I'm spilling my, water. <laughs> my backside's no 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 okay well i actually am definitely 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 down to do a mass dress bars i've heard yeah. they're really fun i've heard people like Doing a bit of music, doing a bit yeah, of yeah. doing bits and bobs. Apparently it's amazing. So let's let's actually get that. And if you're out there and you want to join us, maybe we can get a little shadow. Little yeah, shadow group. Email us at gmail.com. Let us know if you want to come on a mass trespass. Or DM us at shadow.mag. We'll, we put, we'll put it out there. We'll be like, who wants to do a big mass trespass yes, with us? Yeah. We'll put it, put it on socials. Um, okay, so what are we talking about next week? Next week, we are chatting to the legendary Leticia, um, who is someone who set up essentially black spaces in Buenos Aires. Anyone that knows Argentina knows that that is no <laughs> easy feat. So yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk to her about the ways that she creates creative spaces that bring a sense of like home for folks who are like home away from home. Mm. Yeah. I'm so excited for that one. Yeah. It's going to be great. All right. Like, comment, subscribe, guys. <laughs> That's Bye. the bit that always makes it feel like we're YouTubers. I'm not like... I feel like back in the day, I don't know if you watch things like O2L and them things like... Who? Oh, no, okay, don't. Let me not explain no, myself. Who? Let me not explain Who? Who? Like, O2L. Who was that? Do you ever watch like Connor Franta and like all of them... Please, let me I just maybe was on a different side of YouTube. Shut up. I was on YouTube, but were you watching like Dan? Who's Dan? <gasps> what was I watching? He's <laughs> <me> still talking. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, uh, guys, um, comment down below who you used to watch on YouTube, and we'll reply to comment, all the comments. Oh, you mean on Insta? I was like, where are they commenting on Spotify or Apple Podcasts? Comment on Spotify. Who used to watch on YouTube? <laughs> comment on Insta. Uh, Let us know. Uh, love See you yes. all. Bye.